Since it's the beginning of uh, the month, it is time for another uh, Hope Starts Here. And I mean, there's nothing more hopeful than reading the book of Ecclesiastes, right? Well, yes and no, right? Uh, Ecclesiastes actually is very hopeful if you understand what the writer is ultimately doing. And as was just read for us in those first 11 verses uh, of Ecclesiastes chapter 1, who doesn't relate to what the author feels? To just have a sense of it is just life being like being a hamster on a hamster wheel. You just keep going and you're not getting anywhere. Some of the translations read uh, absolute futility. Everything is futile. What benefit do people get in all the effort they expend on the earth? I like one translation. It just said perfectly pointless. Everything is pointless. And who doesn't feel like that? I mean, you come around to Monday and go, we're going to do this all over again. It's unbelievable that we just keep doing this and doing this and doing this. And Monday is about surviving to the weekend and the weekend's going to be so great, right? Only to come back around to Monday because the weekend really wasn't that great. Only to hope that next weekend's going to be so much better. And it really isn't going to be because you're on a hamster wheel that you're never going to get off of. That's what the first 11 verses of Ecclesiastes 1 are saying, is you're just constantly spinning. Did you hear the emptiness and the exasperation in his words? Like in verse 4, a generation comes and a generation goes. Verse 5, the sun rises and the sun sets. Every single day, up and down, up and down it goes. Verse 7, the streams flow into the sea, but the sea is never full. Uh, Verse 8, all things are wearisome. Verse 8, the eye is never satisfied. And verse 9, what has been is what it will be. I mean, it's just life in a nutshell in those first 11 verses. And when you read that sequence, you can't help but identify with what the writer is saying is that we just keep going and going and going. Uh, the, the translation, that Hebrew word, uh, that some translations say vanity or futility or meaninglessness, It's a really interesting word because it means vapor or breath, but the writer isn't speaking about life merely in terms of it being transitory, though that is certainly true and it comes up in the book, but but more the idea of it lacking substance. I thought one writer illustrated it well where he called it cotton candy. You get a bite and then it's just gone. There's just... it's evaporated. It's the strangest food ever. It's just gone. You know, you have a a substance for just a second. And as soon as you think you're going to enjoy it, no, it's gone. And, And that's the idea of what he's talking about with this vanity of life, this futility, this is this, there's no substance. You just, you think there's something, but then as soon as you try to put your hands on it, it turns out to be absolutely nothing. And so that is the picture that he begins with. And so how are we supposed to have hope in a world that sounds like this, that we all feel this from time to time, that you wake up on Monday and go, oh no, we got to do this all over again. It's just the, the cycle of life again and again. What is God trying to show us and teach us, and ultimately then, how can we have hope when we encounter those days where it really just feels like life is vanity, it's meaningless, it's pointless, it's useless, it's futile. 
One of the things that I think is interesting about what the, the writer of Ecclesiastes says on a number of occasions throughout this book is a, a really, I think, stunning truth perhaps for us to consider, which is God made life to be that way. That might be a little bit surprising. That God intended for life to be a hamster wheel. And that God made life in such a way so that you would feel the vanity and futility of it. The, the lack of substance to it. Notice what he says just a few verses later in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 13. He says, I applied my mind to examine and explore through wisdom all that is done under heaven. God has given people... God, God has given people this miserable task to keep them occupied. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun and have found everything to be futile. A a pursuit of the wind, what is crooked cannot be straightened and what is lacking cannot be counted. I want you to notice that the author says God made it that way and that everything that is under the sun is essentially a pursuit of the wind. That is one of the best images. I, I want you, when we get done, especially you kids after services, I want you to chase the wind until you catch it. It'd be a great nap this afternoon. <laughs> Go chase the wind until you catch it. He describes life like that and says, God made life like pursuing wind. That, that's what it's like. Like you're going to go out there and you're going to get your hands on it. And he's giving that imagery to us to help us to understand what the essence of life looks like. That it really is made in that futile way that just as you think you're about to grab something, you ultimately don't have anything at all. In fact, a, a, a passage that was made famous by a song long, long time ago in chapter three of Ecclesiastes reminds us that really life is all about seasons. And if you've lived long enough, you know that, that as soon as you're in one spot in life, it'll transition into another spot of life. In chapter three, he'll talk about uh, there's a time and an occasion for everything that is on the earth. There's a time for birth and then there's a time to die, a time for planting, a time for uprooting, a time for, for death and time for healing, a time for tearing down, a time for building up. And he just goes on and on and on describing there's times of joy and times of happiness and times of life and, and, and times of sadness. And again, to note that what God says is that God made it that way to really capture the idea that God made life to be like that. Once he gets done with the the back and forth of the seasons of life, he he says there in verse 10 that that God I've seen that in this test that God has given to everyone to keep them occupied He has made everything appropriate in its time and he has put eternity in their hearts so that no one can discover the work that God has done from beginning to end or know what will happen the next. Here is this picture of God has made life to have all of these seasons. And then he goes around and says, and so when you're in your one season, you have no idea what the next one's going to be. All that you know is you're just going to keep running the cycle. You're just going to keep spinning. And ultimately, there's a purpose behind that to be thinking beyond that. 
And ultimately that we would see that God would make life this way so that it would be unsatisfying. That's an interesting perspective that God gives to us is over and over again, he makes the point that this life was not intended to give you the satisfaction you're hoping for. It's not meant to do that. It's meant to feel like a hamster wheel. It is like chasing wind. It just seems to almost take your breath away as you're unable to accomplish what you think you're going to accomplish. It's a pursuit of the wind. And thus, if we make it our mission to try to be happy by pursuing wealth or pursuing our career or pursuing wisdom or pursuing family or power or pleasure, whatever pursuit you think you are going to finally have some attainable joy and satisfaction, God says you're going to find yourself unsatisfied and empty. And the problem is we think there is this thing out here that we will somehow be able to grab. And once we have that, I'll be happy and satisfied. And so we plug in all kinds of things. It's going to be our job. It's going to be where we live. It's going to be our family. It's going to be our money. It's going to be our stuff. It's going to be vacation. It's going to be retirement. It's going to be, we just keep throwing in there some kind of thing that we think that once we attain that, it's going to actually satisfy and be the thing you were looking for. And here's God going, I made life so that will never happen. And if you've lived life long enough, you know that. You've thrown enough things in that hole and it hasn't worked out. You thought that job was going to be it or that amount of money was going to be it or that house or that car or that change or that thing. If I was only married or if I only had kids, we have all these if I only had. And God says, you're chasing wind. You're like eating cotton candy. You, yeah, you, you got a sack of it, but then no, you didn't get there. That is the image that God is trying to give to us. Nothing is going to satisfy. Nothing under the sun is going to satisfy. And the reason why I want to zero in on that is for this. Therefore, the emptiness you feel when you seek after those things is intended by God. Sometimes what happens is we have that emptiness and so then we become sad, depressed, demoralized, right? And God's going, no, I don't want you to have that. I just want you to see the emptiness of the pursuit. I want you to see that it didn't get you to where you thought it was going to get you to. That that's the hope that he's trying to give to you here is that there's nothing wrong with you. When you thought that whatever that was, that carrot that was hanging out there that you were running for, and it didn't satisfy, there's nothing wrong with you that that didn't satisfy. You didn't do it wrong. I always make this observation. You know what Satan does? When you go for that and it doesn't satisfy, what Satan says is, well, you just didn't try hard enough. You need to do it bigger. You know, if you just had more or bigger, that that would be it. You know, you you aim too low. It was not enough. If you just if you just had more that that would really do it. And God's going, no, 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 no. 
It's not going to matter. God made it so that the pursuit of this world would be empty. That everything you will try and give your effort toward and pursue is ultimately going to be cotton candy to you. You're going to enjoy just a touch and it's going to dissolve and be gone. And you're going to be left empty and unsatisfied. So that leaves a big question. Then what is God intending with that? Why did God make the world this way? Why would you do something like that? Why would God put it in that way? What is his purpose? And there's a couple of things that the writer of Ecclesiastes zeroes in on as a purpose, a couple of purposes that God gives as to why the world is ultimately that way. One thing that he says is so that we would learn contentment is that as we pursue and pursue and pursue and end up with nothing, we would stop trying to pursue and just simply be content. Stated pretty well in chapter 4 and verse 6, better to have one handful with quietness than two handfuls with hard work and chasing the wind. What's the observation that he's making? It is ultimately to understand that this life is not going to satisfy. It's going to lead to further emptiness. So be content with the handful you have. You keep reaching with the second hand and it's not satisfying. And you're missing out on what's sitting right here in your hands. And that's what he uses the image of. Better to just have your handful that you have right now and have some quiet, have some peace, have some rest than constantly trying to get more and more and more and not see you're just chasing the wind. You're not going to get it. You're not going to have anything more tangible in your life. And therefore, we need to stop straining for more. It's not going to give us what we're looking for, but rather that we would be content. Or if I can say it like this, more is not going to make your life better. More is not going to make your life better. And if you reflect, you can probably prove that. You probably had less when you were younger and now you're older and you have more and how much better off are you? (laughs) More is not going to make your life better. It hasn't done anything. It's cotton candy. It's just kind of, okay, it's not doing anything for me. It's not satisfying. And so more is not going to make your life better. More is not going to make your life happier. And more is not going to give the satisfaction you're looking for. Writer Ecclesiastes is trying to say that. Just enjoy, have contentment with the one handful you have. And the second thing that he also states with that, a little, just a couple verses later, is that this purpose of God by making life the hamster wheel and empty is so that we would enjoy and place an importance upon the people and the relationships that we do have. Listen to what he says in verse 9, where he says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Also, if two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. I want us to think about what he's saying here for a minute. Because sadly, I think what happens is that 
this pursuit of life under the sun, this chasing the wind, that we're trying to be satisfied with this world, stuff, possessions, career, uh, whatever it is that we're seeking after, we think if we just had this thing, and what happens is that pursuit causes us to ruin relationships and destroy other people. Usually that pursuit is what causes us to mess up relationships. We become so focused on this world and our stuff and what we're going to attain and somehow I'm going to be ultimately satisfied that we blow up other people in the process trying to find that satisfaction that God says you're not going to have. And so we need each other when life goes up and when life goes down. And there is perhaps nothing more troubling And maybe you've seen this, but troubling or sad to see someone die and nobody cares. You lived your life in such a way that when you come to the end of your life, nobody cares. There's nobody there. You've burnt all your bridges and that's just the end. I think it is such a a sad thing And yet it's something that the writer of Ecclesiastes reflects upon is because God wants the futility of life to cause us to be content with just what we have. Be content with where you're at. Be content with the relationships you have and stop tearing everything down around you in this pursuit of more that's not going to get you there. Life's emptiness is supposed to cause us to see these truths. God made life this way so that we would be content and value the relationships that we have. And so with that situation, what then is God's big sum of life? What is he ultimately wanting for us to see? And I think there are three things that ultimately then the writer of Ecclesiastes just simply sums it all up and says, here's what I'm wanting you to grasp. Since life is emptiness and since it's a hamster wheel and it's not going to satisfy you ultimately, Here are your big takeaways. One of the things that he repeats again and again in the the book of Ecclesiastes is that you just need to enjoy life. Listen to how he says it in Ecclesiastes 2.24. A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to someone who pleases God. This, too, is meaningless and a chasing after the wind. I want you to get a a, a sense of the idea what he says here. There is nothing better than to just simply enjoy life as God has ultimately given it to us. And I think that's an important picture, but notice what he observes after saying that. He says, first, I've seen that's from the hand of God. Enjoying life is from the hand of God. God wants you to enjoy life, but notice it's within the boundaries of God himself because he says, who can eat or enjoy life apart from him? It's an interesting observation. He's pointing out that without him, it all still lacks substance. 
that only when we realize that these things are made the way God made them, and only when we realize that they are here for this temporary enjoyment for our contentment, that can we really enjoy and appreciate what God is trying to show for us. And so he tells us to enjoy life as God has given it to you, not what you want your life to be. I want you to think about that idea. That you would enjoy life as God has given it to you and not simply what you want it to be. So much of our chasing of the wind and so much of this emptiness that we find is because we are trying to make life be something different rather than enjoying what God has ultimately given to us. No human experience is going to satisfy the longing of the heart. And I think it is interesting that he simply tells us we should be able to enjoy what God has ultimately given to us, but that you're not going to enjoy those things without God. It's just going to be emptiness upon emptiness. It's going to be vanity upon vanity and futility upon futility. It's just going to keep being a lack of substance until you put God ultimately underneath it. In fact, this is the the picture that he gives in chapter 9 and verse 11 when he says, Again, I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, or bread to the wise, or riches to the discerning, or favor to the skillful. Rather, time and chance happen to, to all of them. For certainly no one knows his time. Like fish caught in a cruel net, or like birds caught in a trap. So people are trapped in an evil time as it suddenly falls on them. I want you to think about what he says right there. Are you ever bothered by this? The race is not always to the swift. And the battle isn't always won by the strong. And the bread isn't always to the wise. And the rich are not always the discerning. And favor is not always to the skillful. Have you ever sat back and said, you know what? Life's not fair. Notice that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is getting at. Shouldn't the race always be won by the swiftest person? Shouldn't bread always be given to the one who's the most discerning? And yet how many times in your life has the promotion not given to the one who works the hardest? How many times is justice justice not given to the innocent? How many times is the race of life not given to the strong or to the swift? How many times does that happen? It happens over and over and over again. Is that not one of the more disturbing things that we face over the past year and a half with the pandemic? Is that it drives us crazy that there is no rhyme or reason why some people die and some people don't. We haven't figured it out. And that drives us nuts. Because what we want to say is the strong will always survive and it's not and the weak won't. We want to make these kinds of rules, just like he says. And he goes, hey, guess what? That's not the way life is. God didn't make it that way. God didn't make it where your pursuit was always going to have the proper payoff. 
And I think that's important because you say, well, that seems really hopeless, but that's the whole point of the hope is that you would focus on what you have. If you think that you running harder is going to make you cross the finish line and get you what you want, he says, no, the, the race isn't always given to the swift. Well, if I just work really hard at work, then I'll be on top. You've seen that not to be true. You know that's not going to happen. It doesn't work that way. Life does not work where the strong always win and the fast always win and the weak always lose. That doesn't work that way. And he even said in there, you're not even considering the factor of time and chance. Things just happen. Who can figure that out? And so he wants us then to enjoy what we have today because you don't know that you'll have it tomorrow. And I think that's such so important for us to consider is so often our misery and our depression and our pain and our hurts are because we focus on what we do not have rather than what we have. We focus on what we are wanting out there rather than enjoying what's ultimately given to us. We focus on the pain rather than seeing the good pleasure that God has given to us. So often that's what our our failure can be. And what God is trying to say is, we need to understand that what God has given to us is, is so that we would enjoy where we are at, that that pursuit is not going to pay off. It's not going to give us what we think it's going to give. And then he puts on top of it, if I'm going to give you a second sum that he gives, over and over again, he will make this point. I'm going to be sorry to break it to you. No one's getting out of here alive. No one's getting out of here alive. We like to live life as if that's never going to happen. But no one's escaping the reality of death. And that again is stated again and again by by the writer of Ecclesiastes so that we will understand the need to appreciate what we have now. We always have done that mental gymnastic where somebody will ask the question, if you knew that today was your last day, what would you do different? Or you knew this week was your last week. Or this month was your last month. What would you do different? So often what happens is we, we, we fail to appreciate life as we have it today. Because we think we just have all of this time. Got all of those opportunities. I'll enjoy things later. And I'll enjoy people later. And the things that are important can wait till later while I run and pursue and chase the wind now. And here is always this reminder that God gives to us is you just don't know that you have that tomorrow. You don't know that you have that. We all like to think that we're all waking up tomorrow and everything's going to be exactly the same as it was today. We should have learned over these past 16, 18 months now. You don't know. You absolutely don't know that. In fact, you listen to what the writer of Ecclesiastes says. He says, 
Since no one knows the future, who can tell someone what is to come? And no one has power over the wind to contain it, so also no one has power over the time of their death. Now we all like to pretend that we do. But he makes the observation, you have as much power over the time of your death as you also have the power of containing the wind. And so then he finally makes his important observation in chapter 12. Third reason why life is put this way and what it's supposed to be all about is ultimately life is about God. In chapter 12 and verse 1, he starts off by telling the, the, the people who are listening to him after he's talked about what he's pursued in this life. And he says, I want you to remember that your creator in the days of your youth before the days of adversity come and the years approach in which you will say, I have no delight in them. And then he starts talking about all the reasons why you're not going to delight in life. And he uses great metaphors that are basically like, you're going to be hunched over and your hair is going to go or turn white and you're going to not be able to see very well and, and things like that are all going to happen to you as time goes by. He just starts listing them all off verse after verse in chapter 12. The whole point is you need to seek God now before life sours you. That's what verse 1 was saying. Before the days of adversity come. Not if. Life is going to be the seasons changing back and forth. Roller coaster, ups and downs. Life and death, pain and good. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And you have no idea what tomorrow will be. And so the point that he wants them to understand is the only place you're going to find any kind of satisfactions in God. God made life empty so that as you made those pursuits and as you strive for the wind and come up empty, you would take a step back and realize there's only one place where there's going to be satisfaction. And you're not going to find it in your career. And you're not going to find it in your stuff. And you're not going to find it in your bank account. And you're not going to find it in where you live. You're not going to find it in your family. You're not going to find it in anyone or anything else but God. And so he makes that point at the end when he says, after all of this, there's only one thing to say. Have reverence for God. Obey his commands because this is all that we were created for. This is our very purpose. This is why we're here. For God is going to judge everything we do, whether good or bad, even the things that are done in secret. What I hope you'll consider in this idea of hope when empty is that when we feel empty, we would realize that God made it that way. When you feel the emptiness of life to step back and not say, I need to look elsewhere. Let me try some other pursuit in this life. But rather we would step back and say, I need to be content where I am. And to seek God for our true life and true joy. Jesus had a very similar conversation with a woman at a well. And she was having this discussion. And in the midst of the discussion, Jesus just simply said, If you knew the gift of God 
And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him and he would have given you living water. They're having a discussion over wells and water. And Jesus steps back and says, if you understood who I was, then you would understand that real life joy and real life satisfaction is right here. And it's not anywhere else. He's your hope when you feel empty. When life lets you down, when emptiness comes, when you hit those moments because God made it that way, so you will hit those moments. God is wanting us to stop the hamster wheel just for a second and to realize that true satisfaction and true joy is only in him. This is why Jesus would say, come to me and I will give you rest. I'll take those burdens. I'll give you what you're looking for. You're carrying these loads thinking they're going to help you. And they're not. Find hope in God and not in the pursuit of this world because it will never give you what you're looking for. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, it is sometimes strange to think about the way you made the world run. And God, I pray that you would give us wisdom and insight to see that you intended an emptiness in the pursuit of this world so that we would seek after you. And Lord, I pray that you would give us honesty and courage to look at our lives and to truly evaluate what we're pursuing and to truly evaluate if we're trying to find our joy and satisfaction in the pursuit of this world. Lord, please remind us that as, as we live our lives that any pursuit in this world is just chasing wind. Help us to see its emptiness and help us to see that only from you can come true, satisfying, living waters. God, please forgive us for how often we have tried to find our joy and happiness outside of you. Forgive us for when we have pursued wealth, pursued immorality, pursued our careers, pursued our own personal desires, thinking that that would be satisfying. Forgive us for when we have not turned to you and understood that only you can give us the happiness and lasting joy that we really need. And so, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our faith so that we would stop seeking the vain things of this world. And, Lord, give us the insight and wisdom to truly stop, to truly stop running after what this life seems to offer us and to devote our lives to you. Help us to see how valuable you are and help us to see how useless and empty the things of this world are. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus. We invite you to see that hope is in him.
And it's not here in this world. And for all of our efforts, for what we try to get in this world, it's not going to give you what you're looking for. Would you come to Jesus this very morning? Turn away from your sins. Be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Begin a journey with him this very day to find lasting joy and peace. He wants you to be able to enjoy this life, but it can't be enjoyed apart from him. It's just emptiness without him. Won't you come and do that now while we stand and while we sing?